From the JAMA Network, this is the JAMA Medical News Podcast. Discussing timely topics in clinical medicine, biomedical sciences, public health, and health policy featured in the medical news section of JAMA. I'm Becky Voker with JAMA Medical News. Today we're talking with Uma Valetti, a cardiologist who took a somewhat unusual career turn. Dr. Valetti is CEO and co-founder of Memphis Meats in Berkeley, California. The company uses small amounts of animal cells to grow meat. So far, they've produced meatballs, chicken tenders, and duck breast from animal cells. Dr. Valetti is going to tell us about his shift to biotech and the future of cell-based meat. Thank you for taking the time to talk with us today. You're welcome. I'm looking forward to it. Before we talk about Memphis Meats, could you tell us about your life as a cardiologist? Well, life in cardiology is fantastic and has been fantastic. I really enjoyed learning about medicine as a whole in medical school, but cardiology had a particular fascination, and much of it was related to the critical function of the heart. When I started learning that cardiovascular disease was the number one killer in the world, it became even more impactful as a career choice for me. And I had one goal of being able to learn cardiology in the top place in the world and wanted to train at Mayo. And that took me to the Mayo Clinic in Rochester. I saw the transition of treating these patients for just conservative medical treatments to much more innovative interventional therapies that really were impactful in acute heart attacks, cardiac arrest, saving people's lives, and also taking on some diagnostic dilemmas that were not solved before. And I was right at the time of acceleration of interventional cardiology, as well as advanced cardiovascular imaging. And I counted myself as being very fortunate to be in the middle of those innovations happening and actually playing a pretty leading role in that. And that, I think, still continues to this date. I practiced as a interventional cardiologist after training at the Mayo Clinic, as well as being the head of a cardiovascular imaging program, and really felt like I put my learning and skills to good use and added a lot of value. It's very satisfying when you can look at a patient who comes to see you and actually can say that I was involved in saving this person's life. It sounds like you really loved cardiology. So what prompted you to set out as a biotech entrepreneur? In 2005, when I was at Mayo, the early work on stem cells was being done for myocardial regeneration therapies, which is essentially trying to see if we could use stem cells to regrow cardiac muscle. And the application was really for patients with uh, heart attacks. And the idea was if we could use these stem cells to inject in patients with large heart attacks, could we regrow heart muscle? And as I started thinking more and more about it, I actually went into a slightly tangential thought process of if we could use cells to grow human tissues, could we use cells to grow food? I started reading more about the scientific underpinnings of growing cells into food, and it turns out that back in the early 1930s, Winston Churchill actually said, it's absurd to grow a full animal to use only parts of it for meat. As I started looking deeper into this, it became very clear that the scientific underpinnings were there, that technology was being developed in different disciplines, in developmental biology, 
in cell biology, molecular biology, as well as tissue engineering and progression to cell manufacturing and cell therapies in medicine. And I immediately saw significant overlap. And I've always been interested in how meat gets to the table as a kid growing up. And I always thought that the current industry of bringing meat to the table, while extremely efficient, was also not scalable to sustain the increasing demand for meat. And that really was the origins of this idea. And in subsequently, in my own cardiology practice, I was involved in a clinical trial where we were injecting stem cells into patients' hearts when they had a heart attack. That's when I started thinking about maybe the work of growing food from cells should actually be done seriously in the real world. And I started a basic science lab, and we started working on some basic concepts of could we take a cell that is typically in the food that we eat, like in the steaks or in a chicken breast, take some cells from that and see if we could grow that that same cell that we're already eating into a full chicken breast or muscle. It became very clear to us as we started working on this that yes, we could do it. And we also started understanding how to select for cells that give us the taste and the texture and the flavor that we expect in meat. And we felt that technology like this should really live in the real world as opposed to in academic labs. And we just brought some of our ideas to one of the venture capital uh, groups in Silicon Valley. And within an hour of writing to them, they became incredibly excited about this idea and asked us to move uh, the company to San Francisco. So that started our journey from Minnesota to San Francisco in uh, late 2015. While I love cardiology and I still do, I think the impact I can have and the impact that our team can have in a positive way in the world is orders of magnitude more than if I just continued to work in cardiology. Maybe I would be able to impact if two or 3,000 patients or save lives of two or 3,000 patients if I continued practicing cardiology for the next 30 or 40 years. But if the work we're doing at Memphis Meets can scale, I think the positive impact we could have will be on billions of human lives and trillions of animals. And this seemed like a risk worth taking. So the technology that your company uses really is similar to regenerative medicine techniques that someday might grow organs and replacement tissue. Is that right? Yeah, there are some overlapping areas, but there are also some very clear areas of differences. All the work that's being done in medicine is much smaller scale, and it's also intended to functionalize these tissues in a body, and these tissues have to live for the rest of that person's life. So while there are some overlapping areas in the developmental biology and differentiation to the type of cells, we bifurcate very clearly in the following way. For us to produce food from cells, we do have to let them grow and provide them with the nutrients that a baby calf would like to eat, which includes a mix of carbohydrates, proteins, fats, oxygen, water. And we have to let these cells grow into meat. But again, we are not personalizing this. We are trying to grow it at a scale where it becomes food and food is consumed. It doesn't live for the rest of its life as long as the tissue in a human should live. So we do not have the challenge of functionalizing the tissue and asking it to live forever. What we have to do is to recapture the taste, the texture, the flavor, 
And once the meat is harvested, then it becomes cooked in the same way that anyone would handle meat. So I think we have a much lower level of challenge because we don't have to expect these meat to, to live like in a human for the rest of their life. So I think that's where it's different. The second thing is in medicine, the cost of therapies is very high because it's personalized to an individual. The hurdle for us is to lower the cost by orders of magnitude compared to medical therapies. Does cell-based meat have health benefits in comparison with conventionally grown meat? When we talk about cell-based meat, we are talking about completely detaching meat production from slaughter. And the majority of contamination that happens for meat or poultry products happens at the time of slaughter. Almost 90 plus percent of the bacteria that are introduced into the food system for meat and poultry really either come from the skin of the animal when the skin is being peeled off or from the guts of the animal when the guts are ligated and eviscerated. And that's where we hear about E. coli or salmonella or enterobacter or Yersinia. We feel like the benefits of cell-based meats will be to lower the risks of contamination significantly. We also look at the nutritional profiles that we would want to see in the meat. For instance, maybe more beneficial types of fatty acids or types of fats or maybe a lower amount of protein or a higher amount of protein, depending on the type of choices a consumer is looking for. We can start off growing the cell-based meats very lean. We can tune up the amount of fat we want or the types of fat or the degree of proteins that we want in that meat. You know, it's pretty known that patients with chronic kidney disease are on the increase. And one of the typical therapies for them is to recommend a low-protein diet. And many times as a physician, I used to say, you know, you do have to stay away from the same amount of meat you've eaten before because of the high-protein content. But we do see the option of low-protein content meats. And on the other hand, for athletes, we see that cell-based meats would be able to offer high-protein, high-bioavailability as well. Do you think a day may come when types of cell-based meats might be prescribed for certain patients? As a physician, I certainly want to see that future. That is one of the main motivations for me to start Memphis Meats. And the impact on food, food production, and access to high-quality meat and protein is essential and our number one focus because this offers enormous amounts of food security, and food safety as a platform technology. But I am looking at it beyond that as the next step is really to start talking about what you just mentioned. Can we as physicians start recommending certain types of food grown from cells across the various species depending on those strengths? And I absolutely think that day is there in the future. How can cell-based meats improve food security? So I think... When we think about the population growing from 7 billion to 9.6 billion in the next 30 years and the demand for meat doubling, these numbers are staggering because for 7 billion people, we have to raise 70 billion animals now. And in 30 years, if the demand for meat is doubling, the number of people are not doubling. It's only going from 7 billion to 9.6 billion. But as the affordability and, and the GDP raises across the world, the demand for meat is doubling, which means we're going to have to produce 150 billion animals to meet the demand for 9.6 billion people. So 
there's not enough space in this world unless we start raising extraterrestrial animals to have that much space or water. And I think one of the scalable methods for the meat industry is to meet that demand is to start thinking about cell-based meats because we certainly can envision large cell-based meat production facilities closer to metro areas or of various sizes that can actually be within the city limits, which is not possible right now with feedlots or slaughterhouses, and be able to supply a very dense population in a way that would be very sustainable. Producing meat in the lab is one thing, but getting people to buy it is another. So how accepting do you think most consumers will be of cell-based meat? Our early supporters have been people from grassroots. Typically, they value principles of respecting local cultures, food safety, health, and nutrition. And we expect the early adopters to really think about this as they start thinking about cell-based meats. But one of the things that is a very pleasant surprise for us is there is a significant level of awareness and interest in people understanding where food comes from, wanting to know where food comes from, how food's been treated, and the implications for their health and their society and also the planet. So I think the timing for cell-based meat is really good now. And we think that when we have consumers tasting this and comparing it with their experience of meat, that's when the moment of acceptance happens. Early estimates put the cost of your products at thousands of dollars per pound to produce. Is that correct? It used to cost close to a million dollars a pound to make this just a few years ago. We've lowered the cost of production by more than a thousand fold since then. And now we've further lowered it. And every cycle that we do, we keep looking at much more rapid reductions in cost than we had anticipated. There is an inflection point at which I see the cost of media going down. Media is the same as feed. And I see us finding better qualities of cells with higher yields. And then I also see our ability to produce these at larger quantities, decreasing the amount of labor required to produce that. Ultimately, our goal at Memphis Meats is really to achieve price parity or beat price parity for conventional meats. When you talk about selecting the best animals and the best breeds, how do you go about that? At the moment, we are working with a number of farmers that grow various types of animals, from heritage animals to breeds that have been selected to maybe yield a higher quantity of muscle or a type of fatty profile in their meat. So we do source cells from a number of farmers, and we source them from people that are doing traditional farming or conventional meat production. We also have partners that are investors in our company that also are meat processors. So we essentially take samples from animals that have been USDA inspected. Could you explain the process you use to produce Memphis Meats products? Once we obtain a small quantity of tissue, we then look at this tissue and identify cells in there that are capable of self-renewal. Once they are identified, we look for features that are important for us to have in the final product. And those are determined by the taste, the texture, the nutritional profiles, and the aromas that they give off when they're cooked. Then we put them in controlled production environments. And what I mean by controlled production environments is very clean environments where these cells can grow with the feed and the feed is cycled. Every few hours to days, the feed is cycled very similar to in an animal, blood carries all the key feed 
and nutrients the cells need. And that is continuously being circulated by the heart. And after a certain period, we feel like there is enough features in there to be able to harvest and cook like meat. And that typically happens anywhere between one to two months. And we harvest this meat. And once it's harvested, it is processed or handled or formulated very similar to what you would expect meat handling to be like. And then when it's cooked, we have a way to do sensory panels. Sensory panels essentially are putting your product up against a conventional product or another meat alternative product and looking for the key features. And we try to see where did we do really well? Where do we need to look at areas of improvement? And then try to understand what cells we started with and start the process over again. When do you expect your company's products to be widely available in grocery stores? I would see this as a phased introduction into the market because something like this has not been done or scaled up before. We might have to do it in a phase where we pick a region first, try to really supply to the region, get very early feedback. And we see this rollout coming through people that typically handle meat. Like maybe we'll go to a few restaurants with meat chefs who would be able to serve this in, in dishes that you know people love. But what is important for us is we also get feedback from, from people that handle meat. I would see for large-scale availability of this cell-based meat products, I think it's in the five to 10-year horizon for very large-scale availability. But in the next two to five years, to be able to say premium meat should be available on the market. Do you ever miss seeing patients? Yes, that is one of the things I miss a lot about cardiology. I have a number of very close patients who were on the table when they were having a heart attack or a cardiac arrest and that I was leading the team to treat their heart attack or resuscitate them. So while I miss cardiology, I don't think that starting Memphis Meats would in any way have not been a natural progression of my training in cardiology. So I'm, I'm very happy for being a cardiologist and I'm very happy that we are leading and kicking off this emerging industry. So somehow all these dots connect. Dr. Valetti, you've made a journey that few cardiologists would embark on. Thanks for sharing this with us. Thank you, Becky. That wraps up this episode of JAMA Medical News. To listen to more podcasts and subscribe, go to jamanetworkaudio.com. You can also find us on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or Google Play. Once again, I'm Becky Voker for JAMA Medical News. Thanks for listening.